Well, it's good to hear that music again. This is uh, Wolverine Hot Talk, back up and at it. I'm your host, Tyler Vandermolle, with my co-host, Steve Anderson. Uh, back from just a brief hiatus. Steve, how are we doing? Doing great, you know, uh, just just a little bit, right? Not like it was two years or anything. Um, yeah, you know what? We've, we've had uh, some life changes going on. This is, uh, I believe, our first podcast that is not coming to you from Penthouse Studios. This is coming from our remote studios in New York City and Washington, D.C., but uh, we're going to make it work for now. That's right. And uh, I mean, I think you can just, you can look at this two ways. Either we're total bandwagon fans in the fact that we stopped after the abysmal 2020 COVID season when Michigan went, what was it, two and four? Two and four. I think we, we specifically quit after the Michigan State game. <laughs> totally broke our spirits. Or you can say that we're, true maize and blue fans because we didn't immediately bring the podcast back after what was an awesome 2021 season and then this most recent 2022 season so uh, it's good to be back uh it has been a while so we'll have to shake the rust off a little bit but uh i'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things and hopefully making this a, a regular deal again yeah well as all our listeners know it's been a, a good couple of years the future looks bright so uh I think both of us would like to continue doing this in the future. We'll see how the reception is to this first episode. But, um, you know, we do want to look back and recap last year, recap some of the offseason, and then uh, in subsequent episodes, look forward to what should be a, a very, very special 2023 season. So um, and we hope to bring you that at some point today. I think we're going to look at uh, a few things that are a little more currently relevant, a little more topical, just because going back and looking at all of last season all at once is a, a big endeavor. So still talking through exactly what we might want to do for that, whether we want to go game by game or look at uh, some big picture takeaways, but uh, exciting things in the future for all of you Wolverine Hot Talk fans out there. So uh, we did want to talk about the offseason just uh, a little bit because as all Michigan fans have come to know and expect, uh, it's not uneventful being a Michigan fan in the offseason, right? We had uh, following the loss to TCU, which Steve, you, you recovered yet? How you doing? That, that was a tough one. Um, yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, <laughs> all the ups and downs, it just wasn't really your typical Michigan game that we've seen over the last couple of years. And I think that made it even more difficult. Um, I expected to win the game and was pretty confident that we were going to win the game. Uh, but I, I was mentally prepared for a, a loss. I just didn't think it was going to be giving up that many points and that many big plays and just showing a lack of fundamentals that we hadn't shown in basically two years on the field. Um, and so that was definitely a tough one. Um, but I think the silver lining to it all is, as you alluded to before, all the pieces coming back in 2023. And we will go into more depth uh, on that in future episodes. But um, I, I think that we can look forward to what is going to be a really special season. And that's what has helped me slowly, slowly, uh, get over that L that we took on New Year's Eve. Yeah, an odd game that we'll break down at some point on this pod, but uh, doesn't take the shine off what was still a phenomenal season. Um, and I think, you know, after that game, we all anticipated a nice smooth ride into the offseason, which was not at all what we got. Um, you know, we don't have to get too much into the Harbaugh drama uh, that, that kept us all at the edge of our seat there for a few weeks. It's, it seemingly is an annual tradition, um, you know, it, it, Jim Harbaugh at this point is, is fully committed to Michigan for 2023. Um, seems like as long as Michigan 
wants him going forward, that will be the plan. But I think uh, we all suspect that there will there will continue to be noise and stories and, and dalliances uh, <laughs> for for uh, the foreseeable future. Right? I, I, I think that's right. I, again, I, I don't want to get too much into it because it's been such a um, regular occurrence at this point, And I think we've talked it to death <laughs> off the air. But the, the one the one point I will mention is I think a big factor in how things play out after the 2023 season and beyond with Jim Harbaugh, who I love dearly and want to retire at Michigan when he's 96 years old. Certified friends of the program. Yes, yes, exactly. One of our, one of our good friends, Jim Harbaugh. We have, we have to say, you know, we're not impartial when it comes to as a close personal friend. Of course, the J, the J Ira and Nikki Harris head football coach. Um, But the, the one thing I want to mention on that point is I think what happens with Ward Manuel and any potential replacement, if Ward Manuel is not the athletic director uh, come the off season in 2023, I think that could be an indicator of the long-term future of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And uh, that's a conversation for another day. I, I don't think our first episode back, we want to dwell on uh, the, the different outcomes there, but uh that is one thing that I think um, all of our listeners should be keeping an eye on. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the last word on it is um, that Michigan fans should be excited that Jim Harbaugh is their football coach for this upcoming season. He's pretty clearly proven he's one of the top coaches in college football. We've got a loaded roster coming back and, uh, you know, enjoy the ride because stretches like this don't last forever. And uh, we got a good one. So we are, we're going to try to savor it. Uh, just a few Absolutely. other quick off season points to recap 2023 class signed and, and we're going to break down uh, a few of those guys in a little bit. We might do it more extensively at some point in the future, but uh, an interesting class, one that isn't necessarily ranked in line with um, some of Michigan's previous classes, ended up 19th overall for the 24-7 composite. Um, you know, as those of you that follow recruiting know, this was one of the wildest cycles in a really, really long time, um, in large part due to peak NIL craziness, you know, when, NIL has kind of kicked into full gear, but has not yet been regulated. It was uh, a bit of a free-for-all. And I think, um, you know, you and I probably agree that Michigan comes out on the short end of that equation, at least in the short term. Uh, anything to say on that or wait till, till we get into some specific? I think, yeah, just on the overall class, I think a lot of fans were disappointed at the fact that the class wasn't higher rated considering it was coming off the heels of um, – not one, but two really, really successful seasons, the most successful seasons Michigan has seen uh, in decades. And uh, I think I think that that's a fair reaction. But <clears throat> one thing that I know about this coaching staff is that they do not care about the rankings. And I think there are a lot of guys who are not playing A, a guys for them. And I think fans can rightfully question that and why what the reasons are for not being able to pull in those plan A guys. And you alluded to NIL being a big one, but I do think that there are probably some more guys in this class uh, than folks give the staff credit for that are, are guys that they're really high on that might not be ranked um, as a five-star recruit, but might be more in that 86, 87, 88 range who I, I think are going to be really good players. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that more later. Um, but my hope would be that, 
Michigan staff can come away from the 2023 class and sort of refine their approach, especially with um, these these parts of recruiting now, like NIL that are so new and everybody's unfamiliar with at this point. Um, and if they can continue to refine their approach combined with success on the field, that I think is um, bound to continue at this point. Uh, I, I have no doubt that things are going to get better. And um, I would be shocked if we don't have a, a top 15 class in 2024, um, especially with the guys that we're in on. We'll talk about that later. And uh, some of the guys that are in the class already. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think something a lot of people have pointed to is, you know, the lowest rated class uh, of Jim Harbaugh's tenure was that 2018 class that came in yep. the 22nd fall uh, in the country that year. And that was a class that included <laughs> Hutchinson and Haskins and a number of other guys who were kind of cornerstone players in this turnaround. Now, I, I think uh, you and I are both on the star do matter boat. And I, I think this past class is a little bit different in that, yeah, the 2022 class might have been ranked a little bit lower, but a lot of those guys were clear plan A guys from the get-go. So uh, right. remains to be seen exactly how this 23 class will shake out. I do think it, it adds a little bit of pressure to sign that, you know, top 10 caliber class in 24. But as you mentioned, uh, they're well on track to doing that. And uh, with another, you know, <laughs> stellar season ahead and um, some promising rumblings on the NIL front, uh, I'm optimistic. I think I think you probably are too. So Absolutely. In short? Let it play out, folks. Let it play out. Yeah, uh, I, I know you're about to transition us there, and I, I think just a couple more off-season points we wanted to touch on before um, getting a little more in-depth into, into spring practice. Um, one is uh, the, the swap at the quarterback coach role. Um, as you said before, it, it, you can never expect a normal off-season with Michigan, and this this was not normal, Tyler, was it? Have, have you ever heard of a coach getting fired for computer access crimes? That's a new one, right? So Michigan quarterbacks coach, uh, run game guru Matt Weiss, let go for uh, the, the very ambiguous, uh, ambiguously phrased computer access crimes. Now, um, we don't formally have details on exactly what went down, right? It does seem like kind of the worst case scenarios that uh, people envisioned when the news first dropped or, or not. Uh, what actually happened? You know, there's no, much no, to the chagrin of Michigan State fans. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, it, so, yeah, a, a strange situation. You know, there have been rumors out there, and um, this is a <laughs> happily traffics in uh, unsubstantiated rumors. So, <laughs> what we have heard through the grapevine is uh, that Matt Weiss was potentially uh, trying to access the email of one former Michigan, now Iowa quarterback, Cade McNamara, to see whether. <laughs> Cade was recruiting players like Aaron Hall, the other members of the roster, to join him at Iowa. And, um, you know, as I said, unsubstantiated. We don't know whether that's true. But um, if it is, I think you, know, you could per- firmly place me on uh, <laughs> in, in that equation. So, yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the upshot of the trade to Kirk Campbell, I think is probably a positive. It's positive in recruiting, no question about it, and, and maybe uh, – a positive uh, in, you know, on-field and in-game coaching as well. Um, but, you know, if that is why Matt Weiss went out, then my final memory of him will, will be a positive one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, Kirk Campbell, like, who really actually knows? Like, apparently JJ likes him. And, like, as far as I'm concerned, like, that's that's great. And if he can recruit, even better. But, like, let's see. So I'm not even going to worry about that. He's probably fine. He's probably good, whatever. But, yeah, like you said on the Matt Weiss situation, when the news first came out i was like what is this weirdo doing i was like this guy is a real specimen 
he comes off as just kind of an oddball. Yeah, a little aloof, standoffish, maybe. Uh, and then, like you said, once we heard that rumor, I, I was immediately like, okay, Michigan legend. Like, he can come back anytime. I'm here for it. Well, I'm Big Matt Weiss guy. The one thing I will say about it is it does line up with the um, you know, a parent's going out on good terms with Jim Harbaugh and the program. You know, there were no, yeah. uh, no obvious bad blood between the two, as you would expect if mm-hmm. uh, a coach is committing a crime in the, the football building. So, uh, you know, we, we support pro Michigan crimes here at, uh, at Wolverine Hot Talk. So, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll see if uh, more information comes out at some point. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, uh, keep it on the coaching staff and uh this is our last point on the offseason recap but then we'll move into some more specific matters but um just recently uh philly uh the philadelphia eagles hired their uh defensive coordinator which means that michigan gets to keep its defensive coordinator jesse minter and i think that is something that michigan fans are probably universally happy about he did an excellent job in his first season at the helm um by all accounts really effective recruiter uh, we had a chance to meet, to meet the guy briefly. Um, seemed really personable, really bright. And so um, I'm personally really excited about it. I think we probably just get one more season of him before he is uh, off to take his his pick of head coach or NFL defensive coordinator job. So just going to enjoy this season with him and and see where it goes from there. Yeah, and, and kind of an off season of, you know, despite all the craziness um, and general weirdness of uh, continuity on the coaching staff for Michigan, which has not always been the norm under Jim Harbaugh for uh, reasons both good and bad, right? You want your coaches to be uh, sought after. That means, you know, you've got a good coaching staff. Um, but, you know, Matt Weiss departing, the only other departure on the staff, it seems at this point, is George Hilo, linebacker's coach, who, you know, we think was uh, a solid coach, but swapping him out for former Michigan uh, assistant coach Chris Partridge I don't think there's any way to spin that other than an upgrade. Chris Partridge coming in uh, from his role as defensive coordinator at Ole Miss, former head coach of Grammas Catholic High School in New Jersey. Uh, Michigan fans may remember that school. That's where Jabril Peppers, Rashawn Gary went to school. One of the top recruiters in the country, deep ties in Jersey, the DMV, uh, Georgia. So, you know, that's a, uh, an upgrade anyway, he slices, it, I think. And it seems like Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are very excited to have Chris Partridge back in the fold. And, you know, even if that's not technically continuity or switching coaches, it's a guy who knows a lot of these players, recruited a lot of these players, knows the head coach, knows the, the program, and uh, no reason to think he doesn't step into that linebacker's coaching role and, and fit in pretty seamlessly, I would think. Yep, totally agree with all that. Um, I, I, I think I liked Hilo more than most people. I think he was better than an average coach. Um, and I think he'll do really well wherever he ends up. So um, shout out to George Hilo, another guy who left this off season, similar to Weiss with no drama, didn't burn any bridges, seemed to maintain a good relationship with the staff. And so I, I think he's a class act and uh, I, I can't wait to see how he succeeds. But as you said, I think, I mean, if, even if you think Hilo's a, a seven, 7.5 out of 10, uh, Partridge is a nine. Yeah. maybe a 10. So, I mean, I would agree that it's an upgrade and um, really excited to see what he's going to do on the field and uh, with, with our current players and in the 2024 recruiting class. 
So we wanted to move into some of the current goings on with Michigan football spring practice fired up last week. Uh, Michigan will have 15 spring practices following, you know, it was a long winter of conditioning. And, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about spring practice. And I was debating what, what exactly to, to title this segment. I was like, is it burning questions? And it, it's funny because there, there really aren't. Aside from maybe, you know, who takes the second quarterback job, that many burning questions for Michigan this spring, right? It, it is just that loaded of roster. And I think uh, at some point we'll, we'll break the entire roster down in more depth. But it's, you know, the first time in a while that I can remember Michigan going into an offseason where it's like we're, we're reaching for, for things to even call questions. We've got an established quarterback coming back. We've got most of our weapons on the offensive side of the ball. The defense brings back most of its core contributors. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is more things we are looking out for rather than uh, questions or areas of concern. Um, but, Steve, what are some of the things that, that you're looking out for in these spring practices? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I think there's three things in, in particular, and uh, you got to the to the Google Doc first. So there's a couple things that I think uh, – uh, you've got your eye on that that I do as well, but um, three three unique ones that, well, that I was thinking. One and I'll go one. Okay, all right, good. Feel free to comment on on any of mine. I'm sure you've got thoughts. All right, all right, let's ping pong it. Okay, so the first one that I I've been um, having my mind on lately has been the competition at O line, and this is as you said, uh, there are not a tons of ton of questions on this roster, and normally going to spring practice. It's the conversation is, oh, like who is going to step up where we have a perceived weakness at a position? And I know you're going to talk about one of those in a little bit, but that is not the case with this O-line competition. With the O-line competition, it is the best possible problem you could have. It's You have eight, maybe nine guys who could probably step in and start for any Big Ten team, maybe barring one or two. And is Michigan's second team offensive line this year a top five offensive line in the Big Ten? It might be. Yeah, it, it, it really it really might be. And it's it's scary to think about. And that's what makes it so exciting. And I'm I'm really excited to see who comes out on top uh, at several different positions. I mean, so first, let's talk about the transfers, I guess. Uh, I think on campus, you've, you have the two trans, the Stanford transfers right now. You have Drake Nugent, the uh, interior offense lineman in the center. And uh, Miles Hinton, who I believe is going to start playing tackle um, at Michigan. And then you have Ladarius Henderson from uh, Arizona State, who was a, a captain, I believe, there. And he will be coming in during the summer. These are all guys that have um, started for multiple years uh, in a Power 5 conference and been pretty much the best players on their offensive line. Um I, I'm really excited about these guys. There's already been some really encouraging reports about Drake Nugent specifically, uh, which is awesome considering uh, what we just had with Olu Olutimi and kind of center being the one relative unknown on the offensive line with just Raheem Anderson and Greg Crippen there um, coming back who, who have had a little bit of reserve time, but not significant, meaningful playing time in their careers. So I, I'm really looking on... I'm honestly banking on Nugent taking that spot at center and running with it. Um, what I'm more interested in is seeing uh, some of the battles at tackling guard. So uh, with Henderson and um, Hinton coming in, how's that going to shake out with a guy like Carson Barnhart? Um, how's that going to shake out with a guy like Jeff Percy, who has not started um, 
maybe he started one game with uh, when Ryan Hayes was out on injury. I, I forget. Trent A. Jones in that equation as well. And Trent A. Jones in that equation as well. I'm not sure I could forget about him. But yeah, there's five guys I think you have competing for two tackle spots, really. And I mean, some of them, I think Henderson and Barnhart are two guys that you feel real comfortable sliding to guard. But then you run into the problem of you have you have Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan coming back who are multi-year starters on, on our, on our offensive line and are just absolute road graders. So I think depth knock on wood will not be an issue barring some sort of catastrophic injury situation. And I'm just really excited to see how this uh, battle plays out and who are the the first five they roll out uh, when, when we kick off on, uh, on week one. Yeah, and I'm a little skeptical that the folks over at the Joe Moore Award are going to be, um, you know, that willing to give a third consecutive award to the same team. But I, with the guys they've got coming back, you know, there's a, the real chance is justified. And you're looking at Zach Zinser, a potential day two draft pick, maybe day one, he could play his way in, into that caliber of player. Trevor Keegan isn't far behind him. Drake Nugent, like you said, we've, we've heard great things. And that's not even including, you know, depth guys like Giovanni Elhadi, who recorded himself really well uh, as a, a spot starter and, and backup guard last year. So, uh, you know, the offense led by Sharon Moore, you know, we, we should mention, um, has been the heart and soul of this team, you know, for the two most successful years they've had under Jim Harbaugh the last two years. And, uh, you know, no reason that that, that won't be the case again this year. It's, it's Absolutely. Something, something to be really excited about. I, I, I mentioned it before. My number one thing to look at uh, in spring practice, and um, to me this is the biggest and, and maybe only real question mark uh, on the starting offense and defense, is uh, the cornerback two position. Now, Will Johnson has that that cornerback one spot locked down. Uh, he's gotten a lot of love this offseason, all sorts of, of preseason accolades, making your top 10 corners list and all that kind of thing, and that's well-deserved. The kid was an absolute stud as a true freshman, and it's uh, exciting to know that we've got two more years of him at least. Uh, Mike Sainristel has that nickel spot locked down. I think quietly one of the biggest returnees for Michigan this offseason is getting a captain in Mike Stan Ristol back. Uh, but that cornerback two spot is a question mark. Jamon Green moving on to the NFL, DJ Turner moving on to the NFL. So who takes that spot? And there really aren't a lot of guys with experience there. Um, the exciting name that we keep hearing good things about, and, and you know, for this, we have to give credit to Sam Webb and guys over at the Michigan Insider, uh, is Marion Walker. Um, absolute athletic specimen from Louisiana. Was a freshman last year, played mostly wide receiver, but they've moved into defense. Uh, a guy who is, you know, six foot three, six foot four, fast, rangy. You know, we've heard some some change of direction, uh, three cone numbers. <laughs> Probably inflated a bit. <laughs> get into that later when we, we talk about uh, some of the, the Michigan um, graduates and underclassmen entries who are going to be at the NFL Combine this week uh, about inflated numbers coming out of the <laughs> But case uh amarian walker seems like the guy to be really excited about right now jim marbaugh in his press conference uh last week called him a starter and that's after what a, a week of, of playing quarterback full-time um so you know that's a guy with insane upside with that frame with that speed if, if he emerges as a legitimate starting corner that's a great thing for michigan um some names we're looking at behind him are uh, guys like Jaden McBurrows, uh, a few of the freshmen that we'll talk about later in Jair Hill and Cam Calhoun. Um, I don't know. Any other names that stand out to you there, Steve? I think um, there's a couple guys that aren't being talked about a ton, but I, I, I don't know if they're either one of them is going to take 
the starting cornerback two position, but um, guys I really liked coming out of high school who redshirted last year, uh, Cody Jones and Miles Pollard. I, I think I think they've got a chance to to be depth guys and possibly rotate in. Uh, I think Zeke Barry is probably playing more of a safety spot, but I love the athlete he was. Like people sleep on. <laughs> how good the DB class was in Will Johnson's uh, in the 2022 class um, with Will Johnson, because Will Johnson was obviously the crown jewel of that. But um, I think those guys are, are guys that shouldn't be slept on and we need to keep an eye on in addition to these true freshmen. And we'd be remiss if we, you know, shameless name droppers that we are and didn't mention that these guys are being coached by potentially the best corners coach in the entire country and, and dear friend, Steve Quinsco. Um, so. <laughs> Development is uh, something Michigan fans should have a lot of faith in at that position. Uh, Absolutely. So I'll get into my, my second thing I'm looking for. And you touched on a little bit talking about the transfer offensive line. But which of the transfers stand out this spring? Are there any that, that make their way into the starting lineup? And I, I, as you said, I think we expect Drake Nugent to be one of those guys. Um, Ladarius Henderson, it seems like, has a great chance to be one as well. We won't be hearing about him this spring because he's not on campus. Uh, but the rest of the guys, does somebody like Ernest Hausman, the linebacker transfer from Nebraska, is he able to work his way into a starting role in the linebacker rotation? I think, you know, Junior Colson and Mike Barrett returning seem to have those spots pretty locked down. But Ernest Hausman's a super talented kid, you know, potentially Michigan's uh, most exciting transfer this offseason. What is his role going to be? A.J. Barner, the tight end transfer from Indiana, uh, a guy we've heard a lot about and, and heard some good things uh, this offseason about what he can do in a tight end role next to Colston Loveland. Um, so I think, you know, there are some intriguing transfers, Michigan dipping into the portal in a way that it hasn't in the past. Are there any of those guys that you look at as, uh, you know, potential breakout players this spring? And, and in the Yeah, I think um, I, I won't touch on Hausman too much. He's, he's a beast. And uh, I think he's definitely going to be in the rotation, getting a lot of snaps. I don't know that he'll start um, just because junior Colson's a freak and, and Mike Barrett has, I think at this point gained enough uh, equity in the program to, to deserve that starting spot um, and get the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. AJ Barner really excited about, I think with the departure of Eric all um, we needed kind of another tight end with experience to come in and, and be that guy, especially with how many two and even three tight end sets we play. Um, I, I mean, we can get Honigford in there uh, for that third tight end when we really want to run the ball, but like we need another guy that can, block well and get out in the open field and catch it. So I'm excited about Barner. I think the last one, and this is, is probably not quite as important as the other ones that you've already mentioned, but uh, the one transfer that I think goes overlooked is, is Jack Tuttle actually. And the reason I say that is Alan Bowman left the program. I think generally folks are not all that high on some of the quarterbacks we've signed in the last couple of classes um, at least as full-time starters. I love Alex Orgy. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't, I don't see, I don't feel comfortable with him coming into the game and playing every snap. Don't feel comfortable with an orgy. Is what you're saying. I mean, Oh, I'm very comfortable with an orgy, but just, just not that man. particular orgy. Back on track. <laughs> so I think just having that third guy to come in and like, he's going to be a fifth year player. He's going to be a game manager, whatever. But like, just to push Davis Warren for that two spot. And like, God forbid, if something happens to JJ, just to have options. Cause none of these guys have had to face real playing time besides Tuttle. And so it's, it's a complete 
luck of the draw at that point. And you don't know how guys are going to react when they're under pressure. So I, I think that is one to note as well. And, and I, one more that, you know, slipped my mind, but absolutely needs to be mentioned is Josiah Stewart uh, is the edge rush transfer from coastal Carolina, uh, a true junior, a guy who had double digit sacks as a freshman. And I, I can't believe he slipped my mind. That's a potential starter, a, a guy who, you know, could be your primary pass rusher off the weak side. So, um, it's unusual, man. We're not used to seeing Michigan have this many transfers come in. The Josiah Stewart one, to me, you know, there's been a lot of consternation about uh, Michigan's ability to get transfers in. And you see guys like Drake Nugent, Miles Hinton, um, you know, Stanford guys. Yeah, we'll take those credits, I guess. Ladarius Henderson, graduate transfer. Okay, we can get him in. Josiah Stewart, a junior coming from a non-academic power in Coastal Carolina, you know, we don't have any inside information on whether transfer criteria has changed at all. Um, but, you know, if, if Santa Ono has pulled a few levers there for us, that might be what's showing up with the ability to get Josiah Stewart in, because that's a, a guy who I think has a chance to be a real player, exceed the impact of, you know, a guy like the Abiyoki last year and be, uh, be a potential uh, impact player for Michigan. Absolutely. All right. So I think, uh, I'll move on to my second one. I'll try to move through this a little bit quick so that we're on pace. Um, I think the other uh, thing that I'm looking at uh, this spring is what our defensive tackle rotation is going to look like. We do bring back uh, a good amount of talent at defensive tackle. And I think that's a position where people were a little concerned about the depth going into, into last season. And um, some guys really stepped up, uh, Mason Graham stepped up in a big way. Chris Jenkins had already been big, but I think he uh, took that step to sort of a close to elite level. And I think he's, he's getting to his ceiling at this point. Um, and so I, I think now that Mozzie Smith is uh, off to the NFL, God bless him. Um, I, I'm interested to see what we're going to do at defensive tackle, given that we don't have a, a lot of other bodies similar to Mozzie's on the roster. The one that comes to mind, obviously, is Kenneth Grant, who is, if there's such thing as more of a freak than Mozzie, it's it's that kid. Uh, I, I think you were saying, we were talking the other day, and you're like, who do you think is the heaviest guy on the roster? And it was like, Kenneth Grant. I'm like, yep, 350. Um, so that kid is a, is a, is a fucking meat stick, um, which is great. But I don't know if he's a guy that can play. We've been told. One with some impressive ability on the on <laughs> and sure your quickness so that's a guy to be excited about absolutely and I'm, I'm pumped for him but think about how long it took mozzie to be in a position where he could play as many snaps as he did i, I have all the faith in ben herbert but i don't think grant's gonna be ready to take, play those types of snaps this season so I, I assume that graham and jenkins will be the starters um and i'm just curious to see how it's going to work when i think our average weight across the defensive line is going to be uh, slightly lower than it was last year. Also with Mike Morris departing, who is playing edge at 290 pounds. Um, so I, I just want to keep an eye on that. And, and I, I don't anticipate it being an issue because we've got a ton of talent there, but it'll just be interesting to see um, what players they're putting on the field at the same time. Yeah, I agree on all that. Um, so I'll give you my last one. I'm actually going to give you two because, you know, why not? So uh, we'll go through quickly. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, you know, not fair to call this question at all. I think it's it's the best returning quarterback situation that Michigan has had in a very long time. But the question to me is, does he take the jump from a guy who is very, very good, which he was this year, no question about it. He was uh, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Ten, one of the most impressive first-year starters for Michigan, 
ever. Uh, but does he take that next jump from very good to elite to potential first round draft pick caliber player? And, um, you know, I, you, you look at this is maybe often a little bit of a tangent, but to me, if you want to win a national championship in today's college football, and that should be Michigan's goal at this point, they made a college football playoff twice in a row that, that you know, unquestionably in, in our minds should be the goal. And it, it feels attainable this year. In my mind, there are two ways to go about that. One is to recruit at a super elite level, the way that Georgia does or Alabama does, or Ohio state was, but Ohio state does the other way to do it is what you might call the, the Clemson model. And, you know, Clemson was a team for a long time, you know, with the exception of, of one or two elite classes under Dabo Sweeney, uh, recruited at, you know, a 10, 10th, 12th kind of in the country uh, and always put together really good rosters, but wasn't able to get over the hump recruiting at that level until guys named Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence show up. So you can win a national championship recruiting at that 10, 12 level, which Michigan has for the past several years, if you have that transcendent quarterback star. So my question is, does J.J. McCarthy ascend into to that tier of player, the kind of player who can take, you know, the, the eighth, tenth most talented roster in college football and make them a national champion? So uh, very excited to see his development. I, you know, we're we're fanboys over here. We love J.J. We're, we're excited to have him. And I, I think, you know, my if I if I had a fourth uh, question for this spring, it would be who wins the specialist battles uh, at punter and kicker? And, you know, for, for a lot of teams, maybe this this wouldn't be, um, you know, a, a headline question. I think it is for Michigan for two reasons. One, because, as we've said, there are so few holes on the roster. And two, because they're replacing two studs at both of those spots. I mean, they're replacing probably the best kicker in program history in Jake Moody. And, you know, a, a six-year guy who has been a reliable starter for a long time in Brad Robbins. So, um, you know, does Tommy Doman, uh, Steve, Steve's been a fan of Tommy Doman since day one. Is, is he somebody that emerges to do both of those roles. Um, we've heard that's a possibility is Adam Samaha, the freshman from Ann Arbor, uh, come in and take over the kicking role. So just something to keep an eye on there. Something that, you know, probably won't shake out uh, in the spring, but um, something to watch in the fall. And, you know, we'll keep our ear to the ground and, and see what we hear on that. Steve, anything on those? Or you want to roll into your third? Uh, I'll keep it brief. JJ, Tommy Doman, both dogs. They got that dog in them. So. Yeah. They're disciplined athletes with grit. And I, I think in all seriousness, I do think JJ is ready to take that next step. I mean, um, I'm hopeful we get him for a fourth year, but I, I think his progress from year one to year two, and even over the course of year two is pretty evident to me at least. And uh, I, I, I think that he's got what it takes to, to be that Deshaun Watson level player. Maybe, and maybe not that, that I have a ceiling, but close to it. I think he's got that type of potential. So, and, and of course we want him for a fourth year. That would be fantastic. I think if you're, you're trying to be uh, positive about this, it's that if JJ plays his way into the first round, that means he had a, a fantastic year and was an absolute stud, that, you know, and, and reached the, the kind of potential that we're talking about. So if you only have him for, for one more season, things probably went pretty well. Absolutely. Um, so the last thing I'm looking out for before we move on to some Cruton is uh, the battle for the third running back spot. Um, obviously, Blake Corum got injured in that Illinois game last year, tried to come back and battle against Ohio State, um, was playing with, I don't know exactly what it was. I, I've heard meniscus, whatever. Something was all messed up in his knee. And uh, he's a warrior, but he, he ultimately 
had to come out of that game, did not play in the college football playoff, unfortunately, did not play in the Big Ten championship game. And uh, he will be out this spring as well. Luckily, he will be back this summer. But I think in the meantime, you've got Donovan Edwards back there. And we know we've gotten him, another disciplined athlete with grit, obviously. But who's going to step up behind him? Because we saw last year what can happen when a guy like Blake goes down. Uh, I have full faith in Blake and Donovan. Amazing one-two punch when they were both able to play. Michigan had zero problems at that position. Once Blake went down, it just got a little bit tougher. I mean, you can't expect to – Donovan is electric, but I don't think he's the type of guy you give the ball 30 times to. Um, and I just – not that he can't be on the field that much, but you need to have a second option to, to uh, change the pace and get some fresh legs out there. I think CJ Stokes showed some good things at times, uh, but it was generally against weaker competition. And he had some freshman moments where he struggled. He's, I mean, he was one 18, 19 year old kid, definitely not giving up on him. I think he can be a good player. Um, but I'm really interested to see if it's CJ who comes in and really takes hold of that battle, or if we start to see some other guys um, compete for playing time. Uh, a couple who I have my eye on are Cole Cabana who seems like he might be a little bit more of a scat back situational type guy, maybe a little light right now to, to be a guy getting more than a couple carries a game. Uh, Benjamin Hall, big old thick tree trunk legs, um, pretty controversial recruit in this class, uh, given some of his playing time in high school, but obviously Mike Hart sees something in him. So, so we'll see what he's got. And then a couple of guys who I think are known quantities based on last year, like Tavier Dumblap and, um, and uh, Isaiah Gash, uh, I don't think they, I think we kind of know what their floors and ceilings are. And I don't think their ceilings are particularly high. So I, I hope that those are not the guys that emerge. No, no offense to them. I'm sure they're really great guys, but uh, that's the last position I'm keeping my eye on. Any thoughts on that, Tyler, before we move on? No, I think, you know, my only thought is something we mentioned before, you know, when one of your burning questions for the spring is who's going to be your third running back, you're, you're probably in pretty good shape there. So. Uh, I think, you know, moving on, uh, we don't want to make this too long of an episode. Uh, we've, got, we've got plenty more time to throw out uh, all of this stuff in, in future episodes. We wanted to talk a little bit about 2023 recruiting. Uh, we'll keep it brief, just, just touching on the class, a handful of guys who, um, you know, we think potentially have a chance to make an impact or get on the field this year. So uh, just for your reference, we know we mentioned before, the class finished 19th overall in the composite. And we wanted to each give a guy or two who we see as a, a potential instant impact freshman. So um, for me, uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with two guys who I, I mentioned earlier. It's uh, Jair Hill and, and Cam Calhoun. Um, positional need is part of the reason I think they have a chance to get on the field early. As we mentioned, that cornerback two spot is, is going to be a spot where there is intense competition. These two guys were also early enrollees. When you're looking at potential early impact guys, um, there's no substitute for being on campus in the winter, getting acclimated to the college environment, getting a cycle in the strength and conditioning program, getting spring ball. And the two guys we've heard a lot of really good things about Jair Hill, um, you know, by, by some estimates, the best plot, the best recruit in Michigan's 2023 recruiting class really fast. Um, I think the question with him will be, can he put on enough good weight? Can he be physical enough? That won't be an issue with Cam Calhoun, big rangy, tough guy, uh, posted a, a highlight of, of him taking a pic to the house the other day in one of the spring practices on his Instagram story. So uh, already making an impact on the field and another guy we've heard good things about. So 
Um, I would be surprised if the two of them don't get some early run, especially with as light as Michigan's non-conference schedule is going to be. Uh, you know, and, and who knows? You, you play well in those early games, you, you potentially play yourself into some more opportunities when it really matters. Yeah, and I think really, like, that's the reason I'm not super concerned about the lack of proven depth at, uh, at corner right now, because while there's not a lot of proven known commodities at that position, other than Will Johnson, I think we've stacked quality recruiting talent for several classes at that position. And I feel confident that you can at least have two or three guys emerge and give yourself a a solid two deep um, with like the four to six guys over the last few classes that we've, that we've recruited. I, I have a lot of faith in, and clink as a coach. And um, I think he's brought in a lot of really good players. So when they don't get a chance to play, you don't, you don't get to see their talent. And there was uh, some experienced guys, DJ Turner and Jamon green playing over them last year. And I think uh, a couple of them are going to step up and we're, we're going to see them shine. Jair cam could definitely be one or both of those guys. Um, I'm going to go to the defensive line for a guy that I think I could, that could be potentially uh, an instant impact guy. Um, and it, it's kind of for a different reason than you. I mean, the, the defensive line, especially at edge this year is, is kind of a crowded room and it's not, it's not a, really a position of need. I mean, you've got so many guys coming back. You've got Jalen Harrell. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got Braden McGregor. Uh, you've got Derek Moore. Um, as you mentioned, the transfer Isaiah Stewart, uh, several others. I, I know I'm forgetting, but you kind of have some established guys that we know are good at that position. Um, but I, I think, you know, Etta is one of the most physically prepared uh, recruits in, in this 2023 class. And I think he's going to be a guy very, very, who has a very similar trajectory to Derek Moore, who they're not going to be able to keep off the field for at least 10 snaps a game by, by the time we get to the mid to the late to late season. Um, I think he's got a ton of talent. I think the one difference is he played at a little bit lower of a high school level level than a guy like Derek Moore did. So it could take him some time to get adjusted, but, uh, I I think that the coaches are going to get him coached up and, and let him loose a little bit in the non-conference. And I think physically he's there. It's just a matter of how quickly he can get the playbook down, how fast he can, uh, adjust to the speed of the game in college. So looking forward to, Eno. Uh, in addition to some guys that we think could get on the field early, uh, let's talk a little a little uh, long-term impact. So who, who's a guy, Tyler, that you think is going to outperform their ranking by the time their career is over? Maybe not playing next year, maybe redshirting, but uh, eventually is going to be a dude for us. Yeah, I think there were a few sleeper options uh, for this. But I, for me, you know, cheating again, but I was torn between two guys. One uh, was edge rusher Amerit Kumba. Uh, hailing from France, you know, Michigan has, has gone to the well with um, Brandon Collier's PPI program that uh, has done a great job of bringing players from Europe overseas and playing in America. Julius Wellskopf notably was, uh, you know, one of the first guys to come out of that program and is why Michigan has such a strong relationship with them now. And I think, you know, some fans will see Julius Wellskopf as a guy who you know, was here for five years, didn't make a huge impact and say, well, you know, maybe these European guys just don't have uh, the experience, playing experience to come in and make that kind of impact during their time here. I, I think that's a little bit misguided in that Julius Wellskopf was one of the earliest guys um, who went through those uh, those kind of functional European football 
programs. Now that they've been up and running for a few years, I think guys are getting in them earlier. They're doing a better job of identifying talent. And Amerik Kumba is potentially one of those guys. He's got good speed, great wingspan. You know, this is a guy who absolutely looks the part. And one thing I always look out for when we're talking about um, guys who might not have the, the tip-top ranking, but that the staff sees something in is who are guys that the staff saw in person and then immediately made a top target. And Americumba was a guy that Mike Elston and the staff saw at a number of camps and they offered him right away. Uh, so when, when you're able to get eyes on a guy, when you're able to see how he can competes against other top targets, I think that speaks volumes. And um, it was clear right from when they saw him, this was the guy they wanted. So very excited to see what they can do with Americumba. I mean, it, it gives you, it gives you, I mean, it might be cliche, but it gives you real like quitty pay David Ajabo vibes. No. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, a guy that, that probably has to be in the weight program for a little while, but all the athletic ability is there. This is a, you know, a, a ball of raw clay that uh, a guy like Mike Elston and one of the best defensive line coaches in America can, can potentially do a lot with. So excited there. The other guy, is uh, a guy that flew under the radar. And I think, you know, we probably had a little bit of skepticism out uh, about during the recruiting process, and that's wide receiver Fred Moore out of Cardinal Ritter High School in St. Louis. And a big question with Fred Moore uh, was speed, right? He, he posted a few track times as a sophomore that were not the best, uh, but the, the production on tape was phenomenal. Like he was a guy who scored 20-plus touchdowns as a senior, put up ridiculous yards playing, you know, at a, at a pretty high level in St. Louis. Um, so the question was, will the speed match up to what we see on tape? And I'm stealing this a little bit from a, a web blog. It was posted by Sam Webb earlier today. Uh, but it sounds like those questions about Fred Moore's speed have been pretty definitively answered in the early going and that, that he's looked like a special player. So to me, that was the one question. And if that's been answered, okay, you know, this is a guy who's six foot one, he's built thick and strong and um, if he's got the speed to match the technical route running acumen, the hands that he showed on film, that's a guy who can, who can end up a player, I think. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's great to look at track times and 40 times and all that. And that stuff can be a, a good indicator of what's to come for a guy. But I, I think at the end of the day, like you got to watch the tape and like when you put on his tape, he looks like a star and just like, like, like you mentioned, the level of production for Fred Moore is is next level. And I think like if you even have adequate athleticism in that type of production, you end up with a guy like Ronnie Bell and who obviously had the athleticism and, and production and he flew under the radar because he was a basketball guy. But that's so it's a little bit of a different reason. But I think it, I, we're looking at a guy who I agree is a, a pretty sure bet to get on the field by year two or three, and I think is going to make an impact for sure. And so staying on that theme of just watch the tape, I'm going back to the defensive line here, but um, my my pick for a, a guy to outplay his ranking by the end of his career at Michigan is uh, Roderick Trey Pierce. Um, yeah, that's a great pick, man. I, I was I thought about it. thought a lot yeah. hard about it because the tape is fantastic. I'm glad I'm glad you left him for me on the, on the list because uh, he's one I'm really excited about. As you know, I love these – defensive linemen and, and, and watching their tape and seeing what they're about. So uh, this kid out of Illinois, I believe he, uh, he, he's more of a three technique. I think, I don't think he's going to be a nose. It, it's possible he could bulk up, but I think it's best if he's playing in like a three or a four. I um, a little bit 
more what Chris Jenkins does as opposed to a guy like Mozzie or Kenneth Grant. Um, he's got better size coming out of high school, or at least more matured for a, a, a defensive lineman than Chris Jenkins did coming out of high school. Chris Jenkins, I believe, was like 250, 255. I think uh, Pierce is more like 275 or so. Um, but if you just like put their high school film next to each other, just like the fast twitch get off and like ability to operate in, in close quarters is uh, eerily similar to me at least. And I think Roderick Pierce is a guy that could have a trajectory very similar to Chris Jenkins really love his athleticism and his get off his pursuit. I think he's got good size and I think he has like very, very good athleticism and instincts for the position. So um he's a guy when I watch his film, I'm like, Oh, like at least like 92, maybe 93. Uh, and I think he was like an 88 maybe, which like, isn't terrible, but nine. Yeah. He was in that low four star kind of range, but I think he's like, uh, in that 92, 93 range, just based off the tape. And, and, and I think his measurables don't let him down either. He's not like a small guy or anything. So I I think he hit the nail on the head when he talked about his first step, like that's a guy you put on tape, you watch his get off. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a, a sophisticated watcher of film to be like, wow, that guy gets off the ball before anybody else. So um, that's that's something that's really, really hard to teach. It's kind of an innate thing. And, you know, they can they can add weight, take off weight. You know, those are the kind of things that you can train. Get off is harder. Um, so I, I agree. You know, it, it's rare that a guy comes in a defensive tackle and has a first-year impact the way like a Mason Graham did last year, that's kind of an outlier performance. So maybe, you know, you're not seeing Rod Pierce on the field too much this year, but if I had to bank on a guy who, you know, it come year two, year three, uh, is is starting to round into a ball player, I think you could do a lot worse than, than betting on Rod Pierce. So yeah. that kind of, kind of rounds out our discussion of, of the 2023 class. There will be a lot of discussion going forward on this podcast about 2024. Uh, because there's Keep it light. <laughs> Oh, we're talking about in 2024, and I know you know you and I are um, recruiting nerds, so we're pretty geeked to to talk about that. We just wanted to touch on it very briefly here, uh, throw out a few names that we have our eyes on because um, there have been some commits uh, to Michigan's 2024 class. It's off to a really good start already, so we were going to highlight a few guys there and then uh, note a few guys who you know if you follow recruiting at all, you've probably heard these names, and they're going to be ones that you're following you know, over the next uh, nine months until signing day. So uh, we each wanted to give a commit uh, in the current class that we're excited about, that we think has a, a chance to be a ball player. Um, I got to be honest, Steve, you, you kind of stole the guy I wanted to go with, but it's, you know, since he's from your neck of the woods, it's probably more appropriate that you talk about him. I'm going to go with uh, Mason Curtis, who's a, I'm going to call him a defensive athlete uh, out of Tennessee, an area where Michigan has, had a lot of success in recent years with guys like Miles Pollard and Junior Colson. Um, and I say defensive athlete because I, I really, it's rare that you see a guy where you think, yeah, that, that guy could probably play at all three levels of the defense. Mason Curtis is a guy who plays safety for his high school team, who Michigan apparently views as an edge. And he's six foot four, you know, around 200, 210 pounds, pack a bunch of good weight on him. He becomes an edge. Maybe he's a linebacker. Maybe he's a safety. A lot of different things you can do with a guy like that but a supreme athlete, um, you know, and a guy whose ranking reflects that. So um, somebody to be excited about. And, you know, the staff has proven that that they are adept at finding these diverse pieces 
on the defensive side and putting them in positions to succeed. So, yeah. And he's a guy like, I, I agree. He's really intriguing. Cause it's as a defender, it's a good problem to have. It's, it's really comes down to like how much weight can his body take and maintain his athleticism? Cause I, I am a little skeptical to be honest that he, he could play safety at the college level. I think that's just, it's so rare to have a guy that's six, four to be able to play safety. And he's legit. Yeah, those are the rare Isaiah Simmons hybrid safety kind of breed. You know, there aren't many of those, but yeah. Right. And, and but I think it's a matter of like, okay, is this a guy that we can put 20 to 25 pounds on and play at six, four, two 235 and play linebacker, maybe play, play Sam. Um, I don't know. It depends where you want to put him, but, or, or is he a guy that like you want to put 40 pounds on and, or, or 50 pounds on play at like 255, 260 and have him play edge for you. And I think he can do both. Absolutely. I, I think they're going to have a plan for him. And it's just a matter of executing that. Cause I think he will probably be a guy that takes a couple of years to really get his body right. He, he's still pretty young, but um, I think once he is a finished product physically, he has a chance to be special. So I think that's a good one. Um, Moving on to mine, who you alluded to earlier. Uh, this is uh, tight end commit Hogan Hansen, uh, hailing from Bellevue, Washington, also the Wolverines. Um, he's a member of Ford Sports Performance, a seven-on-seven and um, like football training program uh, run by Tracy Ford out in uh, the greater Seattle area. Um, I know that's a, that's a program that Michigan's been trying to get in with. They have basically monopolized all the good talent in the Northwest. Uh, every, all the good players go um, play seven on seven for them and train with Tracy Ford. I know uh, Grant Newsom has been given Tracy a, a tour of the facility and I, I could not support that more. Cause uh, for, for our listeners who don't know, Steve, former high school football star out in the Seattle area. Uh, for some reason, Tracy Ford, didn't have Steve's number. Didn't wasn't able to, to lock him down for a seven. <laughs> I don't even know if it was going on then. It probably was, but I was not good enough. Just where, too slow. Where, where does Hogan Hansen uh, play high school ball? Is that is that a school that you played against? He plays against Bellevue High School. No, I, my my high school will will remain nameless for the time being. But no, we were uh, in the same three uh, A classification, but we were not in their in their league. So uh, never never had the opportunity to play Bellevue, but they're always a powerhouse. So. They've been churning out talent like Buda Baker, Miles Jack. Uh, I think Stephen Schilling actually went there, who went to Michigan. Um, but anyways, I, I guess just to touch on Hogan a little bit, like he's a guy that, I mean, big, like 6'5", maybe 6'6". Six, six. Uh, a lot of Coastal Loveland vibes. Like great pass catcher, goes up and high points the ball, really good hands for his size but also plays in a pretty run heavy offense and is super physical at the point of attack. And I think is um, a guy that he, he, he could have a chance to play as a true freshman, depending on how things pan out with some of the young guys coming in, in this 2023 class. Cause Coastal Loveland is going to be the big man on campus. Um, it's slipping my mind. What AJ Barner's eligibility is like, but if he's not here after this I coming season, he might have two years. Like I can't okay. think- so if he's here, then maybe not. But if AJ Barner isn't here by the time Hogan Hansen is a true freshman, I think he could be a guy that gets on the field early uh, in the same way that Colson Loveland did. And I mean, the dream is to pair him with a guy like Brady Prescorn, but we'll, we'll save that conversation for another day. 
Well, and I just, you know, one last point on this. You and I talked about this the other week. It does seem like the Pacific Northwest is an area where Michigan is working really hard to make inroads, which I think is a great decision. There's a lot of talented kids out there, and you can speak to this better than I can, but a lot of kids who seem like Michigan-type kids, right? Guys who value academics, guys who are maybe willing to leave the region, you know, because it's not it's not exactly like the SEC where there are, you know, regional powerhouses that just have a stranglehold in their state. You know, if you're a, a top kid in Georgia, odds are, you know, you grew up a Georgia fan and Georgia's super high on your list and going to be hard to beat. Same for kids who grew up in Alabama with Alabama, Louisiana with LSU. Uh, there aren't good programs out on the West Coast and, you know, and in Washington, but um, it, it doesn't seem like those kids have necessarily the same amount of pull or pressure to stay home. Uh, and it, it's a potential area where Michigan could make some headway. I, I do think, yeah. I mean, there in any state you go to, that's not your home state or out of your region there, there's going to be a stronger pull for those kids to stay in their region. And I think that is true with the Pacific Northwest. I think a lot of them stay in the PAC 12 uh, footprint, a lot of Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA for the elite kids. Um, but I do think it is a place, uh, unlike some of those markets that you mentioned, like in Alabama or Georgia, whatever, where if you consistently focus recruiting efforts, you can pull a, a, a top seven player from that, from Washington or, or a place like Oregon every, every single year. And you're maybe, you maybe not, might not get a bunch of them, but you might get one. And I'm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Darius Clemens. And, and I think we're all excited about him and would want more of him on our team. And that's actually a strategy that Ohio State's been, been using JT Tuimolo, Emeka Egbuka, both guys from Washington. And they were in two consecutive classes and Ohio State put an effort there for five or six years and then pulled the top player in the state two years in a row. So um, I, I think it's worth it. But uh, on that note, let's move on to um, not commits, but some targets that we're excited about and who we would really like to see Michigan reel into their 2024 recruiting class. Tyler, I know you got a couple you're excited no, about. You know what, I, Steve, I think you should go first on this, right? Because you got the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right I, I don't want to make you look bad by making it seem like you were sleeping on the guy we're all thinking about i full disclosure to the listeners i got to the google doc first for this this particular question so all you my pick of the litter listening to this podcast know the name Jaden davis if you haven't still, <laughs> this is the guy you know if this year is dante moore this year is jj mccarthy get used to hearing about him we'll be talking about him a lot steve uh, in, in, you know, an abbreviated version, give us the lowdown on Jaden Davis, why he matters so much to Michigan's 24 class and, uh, you know, where, where you think we stand. I mean, it, it all goes back to what you were saying earlier about like for a national championship ceiling, you need to either be recruiting top three to five classes consistently, or you need to have like this five-star transcendent quarterback. And that's the ceiling that Jaden Davis has. I mean, I think, again, WTT, watch the tape. You watch the tape. He is an absolute stud. He he is so advanced for like a high schooler in terms of his processing. You can just tell by watching the film. Um, I think he has good enough arm strength. I don't think it's quite JJ level. Similarly, I think he has adequate mobility. Again, don't think it's JJ level. I don't think you're going to be running read option with him a ton but he can make it work. He can scramble out of trouble. I think really what you're going to get with him is 
just a really poised pocket passer who's going to make really good decisions, but has the arm talent and the the release where he can put the ball on a trajectory where he can fit it into pretty much any throw. Um, are you going to see Josh Allen throwing it 70 yards down the field? No, you're not. But I think he has enough juice to make pretty much every throw on the field. Um, and he's a guy that I think will probably be not that JJ like throws off schedule too much, but JJ does do some improvising and it works because that's, that's just his game. I think Jaden Davis is more of a guy that you're going to see more throwing on schedule and uh, processing really quickly and making good reads. And I mean, what can you say? He's a five-star quarterback. It's not only is it talent, but we haven't gotten that type of guy since JJ McCarthy signed with Michigan. I think, for continuity purposes of the program, it's really important to have a guy in here by the time JJ leaves, that's ready to take the reins and is kind of that alpha dog in the quarterback room. And um, this is the guy. So he's priority number one, as far as I'm concerned, been working on him a while. Hopefully we can close soon. Um, I'll be pretty bummed if we don't, but uh, I think we'd agree. He's right at the top of the board. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, a guy that I'm sure Michigan is hoping to close on this spring. So um you know, we'll see. We'll continue to talk about him, whether he does or doesn't commit. This is this is going to be a guy we talk about a ton going forward, and and for good reason. Steve, uh, one more guy that made me list. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this one shorter. But uh, this is a linebacker um, out of Maryland, a good Council High School. Um, Aaron Childs. He's, I mean, he's just like the prototypical college linebacker you'd want. This is a guy that like could go start at Georgia by the time he's like a junior. Um, just absolute stud. I think he really doesn't have any weaknesses, like moves great in space. He's everything you want, like playing against modern college offenses, can cover tight ends, put him on a slot receiver every once in a while if you need. I, I think he's got that type of athleticism. He's like 6'3", just rocked up, like big junior Colson vibes. Um, I think he is just a complete linebacker that can is kind of rare because he can take the physicality that the Big Ten schedule brings, but also when you – play a team like TCU or, or, or Alabama, who's going to spread you out and have these guys running four fours at the receiver spot. Um, he's a guy that can, that can, that can play ball in that environment too. So really excited about him. And uh, yeah, Tyler, I know you have a couple as well, one offense and one defense. So let's uh, let's meddle through those. Who do you got? Yeah. So I'll give you a few real quick. Uh, my first is, is cornerback Bryce West. This is the cornerback from Ohio, one of the top corners in the country. And, um, you know, maybe there are guys who uh, are um, guys Michigan has a little bit better shot with um, guys who have been talked about a little bit more. But the reason I think this recruitment is so intriguing is, is because Bryce West goes to Glenville High School in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a long time, deep scarlet and gray Ohio State stronghold. Right. This is Ted Ginn Sr.'s high school where Ted Ginn Jr. went to school, where Troy Smith went to school. So this is a scarlet and gray as it gets. And I think if Michigan is able to pull Bryce West out of Glenville, uh, which it seems like they have a, a legitimate chance of doing, I'm not sure I'd make them the favorite at this point, but it does seem that Michigan and Ohio State are the two schools standing out for him. Um, he's been up you know, a couple times already. It sounds like he could potentially get up again this spring. He's giving Michigan a legit chance. And, um, you know, there are, there are real rumblings that Michigan could pull up an uh, pull off an upset in this recruitment. If Michigan can do that, I think that is uh, potentially signaling 
um, something more significant about the state of the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, right? Because Michigan and Ohio State, um, you know, unless you follow recruiting, probably wouldn't wouldn't realize they don't go head to head for that many recruits uh, per cycle. Um, but when they have, Ohio State has generally won won those battles, and uh, that's in no small part because Ohio State has been winning the battles on the field. Well, now Michigan has flipped that script. They've won two in a row. They're going to have a great opportunity to win another one this year. So I think Bryce West is a fascinating litmus test for uh, does the on-field success that Michigan has had, especially against Ohio State, translate onto the recruiting trail as well. And if it does, with a guy you know, at a, at a school where Ohio State has long been able to assume that these guys are ours if we want them, um, I think that's significant and uh, will we'll drive some some buck nuts crazy, which, uh, you know, is a nice little added bonus for us. The, the other guy I wanted to mention is uh, offensive tackle Andrew Sprague, you know, who's a, a, a tip-top offensive tackle target, incredible frame at the position, uh, six foot eight, you know, already 300 pounds. And, you know, Michigan is in on a lot of really good offensive linemen, so there are probably some other kids who, who I, you know, could have substituted in the spot. Andrew Sprague is one that seems to be at the top of their board and is also incredibly highly ranked. And I put him there just because, you know, Michigan winning back-to-back Joe Moore awards, having Sharon Moore as their offensive line coach and now full-time offensive coordinator, it's time to cash in on some top guys, right? Some some tip-top recruits. And offensive line is an interesting spot because um, it's one of the hardest positions to evaluate for college coaches, for, um, you know, the recruiting evaluators who give these guys their rankings and their stars. Um, and it's not like you can complain about what Michigan has done in the offensive line. They've identified and developed extremely well. Uh, but this is a guy they have identified who also happens to be, you know, a top ranked guy. And it'd be really nice to see them pull that off with uh, a dude who, you know, everybody recognizes as a stud. And this is the kind of guy, you know, frankly, they, they should be pulling along the offensive line right now. Yeah. I think those are two great choices. Um, I stole, stole the main character, but I think, uh, as you said, Bryce West would just be a statement victory on the recruiting trail. Like when was the last time we won head to head against Ohio state like that? I mean, we, we won against them for like Donovan Edwards and, yeah, and JJ. When was the last time we pulled an Ohio kid from Ohio state? It's right. Than- and also those guys I just mentioned, they kind of had like guys that were at least at the same level in their eyes or higher that they, that they chose. And yeah, like you said, just deep in Ohio territory, like that would be kind of unprecedented for the last like 15, 20 years. Um, And then Sprague, yeah, just would continue that awesome O-line tradition. He's, he's a beast. I think he's one of the more surefire kids at a position that's really hard to predict. And um, yeah, let's get him on board. We're, we're, on pace for a really good offensive line class. I mean, we're in on some really good kids. We already have Luke Hamilton, the fold. Um, seems like we're close potentially with a few others, Ben Roebuck. Um, like Brazier. Lot, great, great O-line class. So I, I'm really excited about that position. That'll be fun to recap in whatever, eight or nine months when uh, when signing day rolls around. So Agreed. those guys, all four, I think, are potential NFL guys. How about our Michigan NFL guys that are, Starting in the combine tomorrow. What is yeah, it tomorrow? Then, like linebackers or D line or something? Uh, or? I want to say D line is tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, for, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm long suffering Detroit Lions fan. So like the combine and the draft have kind of been my Super Bowl for a long time. <laughs> the combine, the underwear Olympics. It's it's one of my favorite sporting events of the year. So I'm psyched for the next couple of days. And as, for this last segment, we thought it would be fun to go through. 
some of the Michigan guys who are going to be at the combine really well represented this year, eight guys. So running through the names, it's Ronnie Bell, Ryan Hayes, Olu Oluwatimi, Luke Schoonmaker, Mike Morris, DJ Turner, Mozzie Smith, Jake Moody, and Brad Robbins. So um, lots of guys to look out for. We don't know exactly who will be doing what drills just yet. We'll find that out over the next couple of days. But we wanted to go through those guys, uh, a few of them anyways, and, and throw up some over-unders on, uh, on testing numbers and, and see how we pan out there. Because, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, but um, testing numbers tend to leak out of the Michigan Strength and Conditioning Program uh, in the winter and in the spring. And, um, you know, oftentimes those, those testing numbers uh, defy belief a little bit. Not that I have any reason to doubt. Uh, the numbers that, you know, <laughs> whoever else is putting. No, out. no, never. Marion Walker running a, a 610 shuttle that would shatter the combine record by, you know, a, a full like quarter of a second is uh, something I'm going to have to see to believe. But um, we've heard some numbers on a few of these guys. And, and I think one guy in particular, Mozzie Smith, somebody we are super excited to see because his uh, performance in the weight room sort of became legend. Uh, at Michigan. So uh, we've had, had a few over under years, Steve. I, I want to get your opinion. Um, we heard last offseason that Mozzie Smith put up 22 reps of 325 pounds on the bench. So the NFL Combine tests with 225 pounds. It's 100 pounds less. And Mozzie has a, a chance to put up a pretty ungodly number on the bench press. The record <laughs> is, is uh, former defensive tackle Stephen Paya. Uh, put up 49 reps. I don't know if Mozzie's going to touch that number. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> set the over under for 39 and a half reps with 225 for Mozzie Smith. Steve, you got over or under. Oh man, this is this is a good one you set because I, I, I was looking into this a little bit and yeah, I saw that Steven Paya hit 49 and then there's been some offensive linemen that have hit like kind of mid 40s, like 43, 44, 45. Um Man, I might be a hater, but I'm going to go under. I think he's going to get like 38. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's just, man, I don't know, like 22 on, 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 on what was it, 315 or whatever? Like that's, that's a lot. It was 320, 325. That's so weird. That's three plates. Two, five. It, anyways, like, okay, are you really going to put on like 18 more reps if you take 100 pounds off? Maybe, maybe. I I'm not going to doubt him, but I, I think he's upper 30s. I'm going to say just shy of 39 and a half. Uh, maybe I'm a hater, but oh, also the one thing I wanted to mention before I forget is I know there are some reports coming out today that that Mozzie Smith, Smith missed his uh, like podium appearance at, at the draft um, on its Wednesday today, the day we're recording. And it, it was because of some holdup uh, in medical testing that we don't know whether that's somebody else that that was whose medical testing went long and Mozzie was just behind them or whatever, or whether it involved Mozzie himself. Um, I know he has asthma and. Um, so I, I can follow up so, on that. Angelique Chingelis was the one who cheated, tweeted out that original report. She, okay. she later followed up and said that there was a long line at the medical testing spot that it held up a bunch of guys. So I think. Okay. That, excellent. That, I, you know, well, I guess that doesn't uh, completely confirm that there's not any kind of issue. It does lead me to believe that, you know, any concern that we might have had there was, uh, you know, was hopefully not. Yeah, that's really good because what what happened with Ajabo last year on his pro day tearing his Achilles, like I was just 
hoping and praying that none of our guys experienced anything like that, whether it was like, God forbid, finding like some sort of a heart issue, which well, has happened with guys in the past. Exactly what happened to Maurice Hurst a few years ago. Yeah. I was talked about as a potential first round pick. Uh, they found a heart issue at and it, it tanked his stock. So, um, yeah, hopefully, yeah. You know, not just Michigan guys, we're, we're very much hoping that, that none of the guys at the combine experience anything like that. Of course, of course, but especially uh, so, Michigan guys. <laughs> so you're going <laughs> I'm actually going to go over. I think he hits 40. Uh, I, and that's it's a big number. Um, but I think Mozzie has a great chance to lead the combine adventure reps this year. Uh, you know, we've seen the guy in person. He's like the single biggest human being I have ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> uh, if can put up 40, that's yeah. the guy. So, uh, enough, we've, we've heard some pretty outrageous numbers for a guy who is you know 335 pounds or so and, and his leaping ability. We've heard you know he can. Broad jump nine four or something in that yeah and the plyo stairs and record time for his size or whatever. I heard some impressive yeah. uh, on the vertical jump as well. So uh, set his number at thirty two and a half inches on the vert, which would be big. It's really big, uh, but you know, Mozzie is a, a a guy who we saw be light on his feet. We saw go sideline to sideline and show some impressive athleticism. So over under thirty two and a half inches on the vertical, Mozzie. Oh man, that. <laughs> Put me on the spot again. I'm going to say, man, I'm going to say under again. I think he gets like 31, 32. I'm not such bad numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Because I think you're right on. I'm, you're making me think about it. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I feel like the verticals at the combine are always a little bit lower than you would think. Um, you see, because I equate them with like the NBA combine numbers. And that's like when guys get a running start and everything. And um, I think the record of any position is like 46 inches, which is crazy, but I'm just like, man, I, I, I don't know what the highest is for an interior D lineman, but I can't imagine it's more than like 35. And I, I just don't know if Mozzie can get like close to that. I, I think he's crazy athletic, but I think it's more like, like if you think about it, I think he can explode out really quickly, but like gravity's gonna pull him back down super fast. That's a big I think dude. That's fair, and I'm with you. And I still think you know he puts up anything around 31. That's gonna be a super impressive number. Yeah. <laughs> with you, I'm gonna go under on that one. The last one I had for Mozzie, uh -huh. uh, over under 5.05 seconds in the 40 yard dash. I think that that's kind of, you know anything under that, you're looking at a super impressive time that maybe hasn't generating first round buzz. Um, yeah, you know, and, and to be fair, the defensive lineman, it's that 10 yard split that, that scouts are going to be looking at really closely. Um, uh, but you know, 40 yards right. to talk about. So what do you got here? Sure. I, I'm going to break the hater mold. I, I think he breaks five. I think he's in the, I think he's in the high four nines. Um, I, I just, I think his speed shows up on film. I think what we've heard about like his athleticism as a big guy, I think that'll translate. And, uh, maybe I was a hater before, but I, I think he breaks five and gets under. Yeah, what about you? Uh, I think it's and it's going to be how well can he start? You know, if, if Mozzie can get moving downhill, uh, it will yeah. be a pretty good clip. So that's going to be a fun one to watch, man. Watching those big guys move is uh, is always a joy. So for sure, uh, excited to see that one. Uh, so moving on, a couple more guys, Ronnie Bell, and I think Ronnie is interesting because that's a guy who um, maybe has a, a little bit to prove at the combine. You know, he's not a guy who's necessarily viewed as having super elite measurables the production was there the leadership the toughness uh and the tape is good but um a guy who could really help himself out by running a good 40-yard dash time and, and i've always thought anything in the four fours 
is going to be a good time for him. So I've set his over under at four four nine. Does he run something in the four four, Steve? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he's he's low four fives. Um, I, I just he he wasn't really a guy at Michigan that like we were having take it take the top off of the defense too much. I feel like he was his strength was as a route runner and he did run like vertical routes, but uh, he, I, I remember much more for running like a great corner route or a great out or a great dig and making an awesome catch and not so much like putting him in the Roman Wilson role where like, he's just like, you're telling him go run by this guy. And so I, I I'm going to say 4.52 is going to yeah. be my official prediction. Yeah. I, I you know, I, yeah, I, I hate to be just, you know, playing the copycat here, but I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, the low four fives is, is probably about where I'd have him. But, you know, obviously pulling for him, anything below that he runs in the four fours, and that's that's huge for his stock. So absolutely, uh, definitely possible. We'll be keeping an eye on it. You know, while his, his uh, ability as a burner might not have been his calling card, he's always been a leaper. And uh, all you need to, to know that is to go look at some of his high school basketball highlights, throwing down some thunderous dunks. So. Set the over-under for his vertical jump at 37 and a half inches. I'll go first. I'm going to take the over. I think, uh, you know, you just look at him. He might not be a guy you think is going to be that explosive and jump off the page like that. I think he's going to surprise some people. I think it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all to see, you know, a number in the high 30s for his vertical leap. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm smashing the over here. And I, I think I think this is the one. I think you set great numbers. I think this is the one that was a little too low. I, I would be shocked if he's – anything under 39 and i i think he's clearing 40 like this guy was a basketball player he's he's jumping out the gym i think he's shown a lot of jumping ability like in as a receiver at michigan i i i'm gonna bet he's gonna go 40 41 but i would be i'd be pretty surprised if it was under 39 to be honest awesome um and the last one dj turner uh, a guy who we've long heard about being potentially the fastest guy on Michigan's roster. So I don't know if I, if I set this number uh, too high or too low. We're, we're going to say uh, his 40-yard dash time, DJ Turner, at 4.39. Does he go over or under 4.39? Anything in the 4.3s is considered pretty lead. And, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I'll go first. I think he's going to go under. I think he's going to run something in the 4.3s. I think, uh, you know, that's going to be a name that ascends draft boards pretty quickly because the tape is there. Uh, you throw that number on a DB and it, it can do wonders for him. So what do you got, Steve? Uh, man, I'm just going to sip on the Haterade one last time for the evening. And I'm going to say over, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 4.41. I, I think he's really fast, but I'm thinking of some of the guys that like ran in the four threes. And I'm like, man, is he as fast as like Chris Olave? I, I mean, there, there's some of the guys in the four threes that I just low four three guy though. He ended up at four. No, three. no, was he? I thought he was like a four three nine. No, uh, it's funny. I, so Chris Olave, I remember watching him. His original time blew people away because his hand time was like four two nine or something, and then he ended up getting adjusted up. So maybe, maybe it was. It was. Well, yeah, it was. Oh no, yeah, it was. I just looked it up. He so his his like original time was four point two six. Yeah, and then I'm it was an official four point three nine. That's crazy. Yeah. Which is which is like how do how are you that? Oh man, somebody somebody fucked up and blue balled that kid. Uh, yeah, looking up and thinking he'd be just almost broke the car. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, I don't feel bad for him though because he's a Buckeye. But anyways, I, I think if that run was a four three nine, I think 
DJ's going to be, I do think he's like incredibly fast. And I think as a DB, if you're in the low four fours, like you are more than set, like you're, you're, you're chilling. So I think he's going to be fine, but I think it's going to be just slightly over. All right. Well, uh, make sure to tune in, watch your Michigan Wolverines at the NFL combine. Uh, I want to say it's, it starts tomorrow. I want to say it runs through Thursday or sorry, tomorrow's Thursday. I want to say it runs through Sunday, maybe Monday, but uh, next few days should be a fun one. Uh, you know, a little drop of water in the football list oasis. Or the, I'm, I'm fucking up. I'm not, not saying that's right, but you know what I'm saying. XFL, bro. What? You're yeah. not watching the XFL? Yeah. Uh, I haven't tuned into the XFL yet. That's that's coming. I got, I got uh, oh. We'll see. Well, Steve, this is fun. I don't know where we ran on time. Probably a little bit over, but uh, enjoyed it, man. It was great being back in the saddle with you and, um, you know, looking forward to, to more episodes to come. Uh, you got any got any parting thoughts? No, this was this was great, and uh, shout out to all our 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 ones or possibly tens of loyal listeners, and uh, we will we will make sure to get back and, uh, and and not have such a long hiatus this time. Hopefully, hopefully we can do this at least on a monthly basis. And uh, yeah, if if you could just like and uh, retweet our our tweets, where we tweet tweet out the the link to our to our podcast, that would be great. So. That can uh, give us some motivation to keep going a little bit. So thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll see you all soon. Uh, For Wolverine Hot Talk, this has been Tyler Vanderbilt and Steve Anderson signing off.